young teenager came into a convenience store and uh, bought a Coke, went to the front counter and paid for it. And no sooner had the shopkeeper taken his money than the, the teenager shook the can real fast, flipped the lid and sprayed the shopkeeper all with Coke. Oh, what's going on? The shopkeeper said. What's the matter with you, son? He said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. I don't know what came over me. You know, I try to stop it, but I just can't. The shopkeeper said, well, you better get some help with that. You better learn how to curb those kind of actions. Because if you come in here again and I see you, I'm not going to sell you anything. So the boy left, and sure enough, about two months later, he comes back in, goes to the back where all the sodas are kept, buys a Coke, comes to the front, puts down his money, and the shopkeeper looks at him and goes, well, what's this? And the boy says, oh, it's all right. I've been to counseling over the last couple of months, and everything is good. There are no problems. The shopkeeper looked at him with a suspicious eye and then said, okay, okay, I believe you. Accepted the money. And no sooner had the money been accepted than the boy shook the can real quick, topped the tap, sprayed the shopkeeper all over again. And the irate shopkeeper said, what's going on? I thought you said you were cured. And he said, I am cured. I still do it, I just don't feel guilty anymore. Guilt. Guilt. We all have it. We all experience the monster of guilt. We got to face it. We got to deal with it because we've got guilt from bad thoughts, false statements, and hurtful deeds. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Guilt in our lives can be excruciating, it can be suffocating, and it can be downright debilitating. Ann Landers, in one of her columns, wrote these words. She said, one of the most painful, self-mutilating, time- and energy-consuming exercises in the human experience is guilt. It can ruin your day, it can ruin your week, it can ruin your life if you let it. Guilt is the dread of something done in the past, something that you've done or said that you simply will not have let go of you in any way, shape, or form. It is the pain that wells up on you and literally cripples your life because of the pain. It cripples your relationships with other people. We live in constant fear that someone is going to discover our guilt and use it against us. Guilt is one of the most crippling diseases among people today. If you talk to the researchers in this country, they will tell you that guilt is the number one cause for mental illness and suicide. It prompts millions of Americans to gulp down pills to tranquilize their anxiety on a daily basis. And if you don't believe me, watch the TV. Watch the TV. It's been said that the average person spends two hours a day feeling guilty. It doesn't say about what, you just feel guilty. And out of those two hours, 39 minutes is a moderate to a severe guilt about something you've done or said. Now, if you don't believe me, think about this. Think about the last time you were driving along and saw a police car in back of you with lights flashing. Did all those senses of guilt, all those feelings of guilt well up? And then how did you feel when the police car raced on by you to get somebody else? 
Didn't you think, oh, well, that was all for naught? Even though I was driving 10 miles over the speed limit, we all feel guilty about something at times. We are all with a sense of guilt, and it often makes us feel miserable. Some people feel guilty because they got married. Some people feel guilty because they didn't. Some people feel guilty because they never had children. Some people feel guilty because they did. Some people who are sick feel guilty because they need to rely on someone else to help them with their health. And some who are healthy feel guilty because they know they can't provide the care to somebody who is sick and really needs them. Guilt can take on all types of shapes and forms. And some of the most serious kind is, can be the type of cheating on a spouse or lying about what you've done or hurting someone with your words or your actions. I recently received a letter in the mail that was a very big surprise to me because it was from someone who had hurt me very deeply by what she had said. And she asked for my forgiveness. And I was totally taken aback, pleasantly so. And I wrote her back and said, not only is she forgiven, but I would ask that she would forgive me for any wrongdoing that I gave her, any transgression. Forgiveness is the only way through and past guilt. And we all carry it around. Sometimes it's well-founded, sometimes it's not. But it keeps us from ever experiencing the fullness, the abundance of life that God really wants for us. That guilt gnaws away at it. It cripples us emotionally. It hinders our spiritual growth. It hinders our relationships one with another if we are guilty. So how do you get rid of this thing called guilt? How do you deal with guilt? I think Psalm 32 is a great place to start. All of you, most all of you are familiar with the story that's told out of Psalm 32. It's about David, probably the greatest, most important king of all of Israel. He was favored by God. Matter of fact, it's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. But as good as David was, he wasn't perfect, was he? David's worst time came when he was king. His troops were out fighting a war, and that's where David should have been, but he wasn't. He was at home. And one evening while he was walking on his porch, he saw a beautiful woman bathing. And it caught David's eye. And he called her up to his palace. Now, both David and this woman, and you know this woman by the name of Bathsheba, they were married. But it didn't seem to matter because their lust is consummated by committing adultery. And then to hide their sin, to hide their guilt, the guilt of which is the result of she becoming pregnant, David sends her husband out to war and has him killed. And then he takes Bathsheba as his wife. And a year goes by, and everything seems to be fine. As a matter of fact, David's guilt seems to be wrapped up in the sands of time, never to be remembered again. But you know what's a secret sin here on earth? 
is a tremendous, tremendous call in heaven. And what does God do? He sends the prophet Nathan. He sends the prophet Nathan to confront David and tell him, yep, you've sinned. And David falls on his face and he says, I have sinned. And you can hear the anguish of his guilt as he writes in Psalm 51. He writes these words, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David certainly had a reason for feeling guilty. He was guilty. His sins were immense. And the scholars feel that Psalm 32, the scripture that we read at the beginning of this service, was written as a twin to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was written in the white-hot heat of David's cry to God for forgiveness in the midst of his guilt. Psalm 32 was written sometime following, after he had experienced the forgiveness of God and was dealing every day with the results of that gift guilt. In Psalm 32, it's an x-ray of guilty conscience and the revelation of what can be done if we can just wash the grime of guilt away, if we can really get rid of this monster of guilt. So what does it teach us? What does Psalm 51 coupled with 32 that we read this morning teach us about this monster of guilt? First and foremost, it teaches us to claim our guilt. Claim it. Make it your own. You know, we live in a society that experiences the downfall of politicians and sports figures and preachers and Hollywood stars, and inevitably a lot of them always step aside, never admitting their guilt, or they blame other people and point fingers for their guilt, or they get blurred up in a a period of self-righteousness, but David doesn't get lost there. He points right to the psalm there in the fifth verse and says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you. How can we ever expect to live healthy lives, faithful lives, if we carry around the baggage of yesterday loaded down by guilt? Many of you are familiar with a lot of the sport groups, not just simply here in the church, but in the community. A lot of them like Celebrate Recovery or AA, Alcoholics and Anonymous, start out by you getting up and telling folks who you are and what your progress is. You know, they'll start out and go says, well, I am so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, I'm a cheat, I'm a gambler. Ever thought maybe that's what we should apply in our Christian community? I get you all lined up here every Sunday down front. What do you think? Huh? My name is Scott, and I'm a sinner. Wouldn't that apply to all of us? Wouldn't we be claiming our guilt if we honestly and authentically did that? And that's the only way we can really start dealing with our guilt. The truth is, if you don't deal with your guilt, your guilt is going to deal with you. It's going to affect you psychologically, just like it affected David. When you read here in the psalm, he writes these things, When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. David couldn't get the wrong out of his mind. It it awoke with him. It followed him all day long. It was a wash. He couldn't even sleep at night 
It affected him psychologically. It affects us spiritually, just like it affected David. He says, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Sin separates us from God. It it drives a wedge into the relationship between us and between God. And that barrier remains until we're going to claim the guilt. And it affects us physically. Just like David writes, my strength was drained as in the summer's heat. You know, I've heard of people who were guilty that they lost their appetite. They were unable to sleep. They got shortness of breath. They literally became nauseous because of the guilt that they held inside, psychologically, spiritually, physically. If you don't find a way to claim your guilt, your guilt is going to claim you. So that's one. Second one, after you claim it, confess it. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, writes David. You know, we need to be open and honest with God. we got to tell him like it is. And confession is not telling something to God that we think he doesn't already know. He knows it, folks. Because the word confession actually means to agree with. To agree with. We're saying when we confess that we are agreeing with God, that we're guilty, we have fallen short. We are agreeing with God that we have rebelled against his authority. We're agreeing with God that we've missed the mark or we've missed the standard that we're supposed to be on. We're agreeing with God that there's something twisted in our life that needs to be made straight. That's what happens when we confess. We are agreeing. The burden of unconfessed guilt is going to haunt you and going to hunt you down. You cannot hide that guilt from God and you cannot hide that guilt from yourself. Guilt is only dispelled when the truth is told. Only when confession is made can guilt truly melt away. Ever made a snowman? Ever rode the snow together? Those big balls of snow? Put that one next ball and a ball there and a ball there. You take two little pieces of charcoal and put it in there at the eyes. You take the carrot, put it in the nose. Get an old hat, put it on. It's great, isn't it? Nice snowman out there, nice and cold. It's great until the sun comes out and the temperature rises and things start to melt. And that beautiful snowman starts to melt all away until you end up with a pool with a couple of pieces of charcoal, a soggy carrot, and an old hat. It's too bad for the snowman, but it's great for the monster of guilt to have it melt away just like that because we've confessed Only when confession is made will guilt truly melt away. What does the poet say? Free is the soul that is no longer frozen by guilt. And when we confess our guilt, the Lord promises to forgive us. He takes it away. The burden is lifted. It's no longer in his sight. It doesn't count against us. Wouldn't you like to have a clear conscience like that? All those guilty things that are nagging you at this moment that you don't want anybody to know, least of all the pastor? Wouldn't you like to know that you're no longer chained to a monster of guilt simply because you've claimed it and because you've confessed it? That leads us to the last part. Claim it, confess it, forget about it. I can't do a New York accent good enough. Forget about it. I can't do it. Forget about it. Forget about it. Claim it, confess it, forget about it. 
Stop carrying it around with you. David said, and you took away the guilt of my sin. God forgets your confessed sin, and so should we. You know, he doesn't put it in a file to put it in a file folder, to put it in a file cabinet so he can save it for posterity. He forgets about it. It's gone. You ever been on the computer and lost something when you're typing? Like a sermon? You're typing along and you haven't saved everything, and then there's a power outage? Or worse still, Microsoft Windows decides to update and reboot. And if you haven't saved what you've written, you can search that computer up and down, inside and out. You are not going to find any semblance of that which you have written. It is gone. It is vanished. It's in the ether someplace. And it's not coming back. I can't begin to tell you how many times that's happened to me. For me, that wasn't a good thing, but for the monster of guilt, that's a great thing. That's exactly what God did for David. David confessed his sin, and suddenly the guilt was no more. It was gone. And that's exactly how it is for us. When we confess our sin, God erases the sin and the guilt, and we just simply need to forget about it. We need to get on with our lives and keep marching ahead. God doesn't remember any confessed guilt, and neither should we. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. It's out of Jeremiah. When God forgives your sins, he locks them away in the vault of grace, and then he takes that vault, and he throws it in the deepest part of the sea of mercy, and it sinks to the bottom of the ocean to be forgotten forever. And we need to forget it too. David's sin was canceled. The slate was wiped clean. The monster of guilt was forgotten. And so it can be for each of us, whatever guilt you have, whatever guilt affects you. Ernest Hemingway wrote a wonderful short story many, many years ago entitled The Capital of the World, and it's the story about a father and his teenage son who lived in Spain, and their relationship had become strained, and eventually they separated. Matter of fact, the teenage boy ran away from home, and his father, his father was at wit's end. He began to search for his lost and rebellious son, and finally, in desperation, the only thing he could think about was to put an ad in the Madrid newspaper. It was a last resort, but somehow he had to reach his son. His son's name was Paco. That's a very common name in Spain. It's like Jim or Mike here in America, Paco. And so this is the ad that he placed in the newspaper. He said, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. The next day at noon in front of the newspaper office, there were 800 Pacos seeking forgiveness. I can't help but think as we sit here today that there's a Paco out there desperately seeking a clean conscience, desperately wanting to get out from under the heavy hand of guilt, desperate to find a way to rid themselves of the monster. Well, you're in luck.
We can We continue today with our We continue today with our series. Would you bow your heads with me, please?